opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Sports Roundtable. I am Bob Branco. Good be good to be here today with all of you. This is episode 309, dated Monday, October 9th, 2023. Before we continue, allow me to introduce the sports spelunkers that we have with us this afternoon. We start out with Peter Elchel. Welcome from rainy, misty, dreary Coos Bay, Oregon. Apparently, it's this way from now until April. Apparently. Don Wardlow. Hi there, from Jersey, where it's cool, but definitely not rainy. We dodged a bullet on Saturday where we were supposed to have a ton of rain, which we didn't get. That was Felipe. Made landfall in Maine, from what I understand. Okay, nobody mentioned that. What about Mateo and Jesus? What about Mateo and Jesus? I don't know about them. What's going on? Yeah, Felipe's brothers. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Luther King. Good afternoon from a mid-70-ish Nashville, Tennessee. Glad to be back at the mission last week. Glad you guys enjoyed the Pete Weber uh, interview. He was very informative indeed. Thank you for recommending him. Also, Reverend Michael Garrett. <clears throat> After a blistering, heart-wrenching sports weekend, Welcome to a pleasant 82 degrees Missouri City, Texas. <laughs> yeah, you, you had you had you had the you had the triple whammy, man. Ooh. Mama, don't raise your kids to be cowboys. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to start. that. All right. So before we continue, and before I introduce our special guest who is back for another appearance here on the program, let me thank some people. Raymond Gay, our executive producer, thank you for helping to make this a quality show. Also, to our media sources, thank you very much for airing us when you do. Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place, thank you very much for posting Sports Roundtable on Greeting Door 14 of your chat service. We appreciate that. And also, Jacqueline Sylvia of JS Web Solutions for archiving our shows on my website. All you got to do is go to www.brancoevents.com. Arrow down until you get to Sports Roundtable Podcasts. Click on them, and you will see most of our archives from latest to earliest. All right. And I also want to give a special shout-out to Lucy and to Brad. Brad for streaming on ACB Media 5. And for Lucy who will be acting as our host and facilitator for today's program. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. Back again for a second appearance here on Sports Roundtable. We are very pleased to have once again the voice, the radio voice of the University of Western Kentucky's Hilltoppers. Mr. Randy Lee is back with us. Randy, thanks for returning. Thanks for the invite, Bob, and your team. I really appreciate being here. It's our pleasure indeed. So, what's happening in the world of college football that you would like to talk about, first and foremost? Well, I really think the the thing I'm interested in, it, it affects us a lot, is how many 
games now are being played early in the week. You know, Tuesday night games. We have Tuesday night games the next two weeks. We go five straight weeks, our school does, without playing on a weekend. We have three Thursdays and two Tuesdays. So I'm just always interested to see how the fans, um, what the fans think of that. I know what, you know, the announcers and maybe some of the coaches and things think about it and the players. But, uh, I mean, do fans really like the ability to watch games on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? Do they think it's good for the game? Well, it kind of parallels with the NFL. All of a sudden, we have football on Thursday night. We may have football on Friday after Thanksgiving. We've got well, some yeah, Saturday Yeah, that's, that's this year. That, yeah. that starts But I think year. it's a pattern that you're going to see across the board. I think networks and organizations would like more viewers. They want to attract their attention more. I think that's part of the problem, if it's a problem. I mean, I, I was... Randy, I was, I was curious. Um, you mentioned games on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Is one of those uh, breaks a five-day break, you know, from a Thursday to a Tuesday? Because that strikes me as uh, sort of murderous for college football players. Yeah, we, we've done that once. This week we have a we have a bye. So, you know, we played at Louisiana Tech Thursday, but we don't play again until a week from tomorrow. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, yeah, so that now how you know so that'll be that'll be okay. The thing I've noticed is no matter where we play, home or on the road, it just just absolutely destroys home attendance. Yeah. And I know the exposure the universities, the athletic departments, the football programs receive is more than um, they could have ever dreamt for, probably in the conference USA uh, before this new contract. But I, I just know it just absolutely destroys attendance. We were at Louisiana Tech the other night. And I know the announced crowd was 13,000. I don't think there were a thousand people there. Um, so, you know, we had a game the previous Thursday against our arch rival MTSU. You know, that mm -hmm. is a guaranteed 18,000 crowd at least. Um, you know, we reported, I think we reported 13,5 or 14. I would say there are probably nine there. Uh, and then, you know, there's just, it just, it just hurts attendance, at least for institutions, maybe, and fan bases that are not used to this. I mean, so Randy, with... how does it how does it affect? What do the coaches and players say about how it affects them physically to recover from playing a Saturday game to go to a Thursday game or Wednesday or? Something I like think that? there's you know it definitely affects the prep time and the the. Um, coming back from an injury but i think if both schools are on the same you know level like if the your opponent has to do has the same amount of days to prepare as you do you know i, I feel like that counterbalances some of the issues they have they want another team to have a competitive advantage but there is a concern i believe on being able to bounce back from injuries with with 48 fewer hours probably that that's a I think that's a concern, but I, I know our head coach loves these games because of the national exposure, loves them. And he would play any night of the week to get on national television. And um, I don't know if all the coaches are like that, but I know Tyson Helton is. He, he likes these games a lot. This almost feels like what the Mid-American Conference does because they do their midweek matching on Wednesdays. I think that's coming up right around the corner. Yeah. I wonder if that's kind of, kind of the trend of what, 
these smaller conferences like a CUSA, maybe right. like the OVC Big South, who's now joined forces for their sports and things like that to maybe get some in TV the new contract, the new TV contract, the Conference USA just signed. Uh, the, the deal was the entire month of October, uh, the Conference USA schools would not play any Saturday games. They're either going to play, they'll have two, two Tuesday games and two Thursday games, but no Saturday games in the month of October. Wow. Now, what I don't get is why would that mess up the home attendance? Because for basketball, you have attendance no matter what night well, of the week. Well, it probably depends on the people that actually can come out there because of work, family life, what they can spend. So, I mean, they, they have to basically make a choice. Because Big, just, big just, just Monday that. used to be a humongous deal. I don't know if it still is. but Oh, it still is, but again. You got basketball on Thursdays. You got basketball any old day in the attendance. I mean, if it's going to be there, it's going to be there. I mean, Randy can probably speak on, on, to on. this. Before, hold on. Sorry, go ahead. I think, Mike. I think the biggest difference is your football stadiums are seating anywhere from, you know, around twenty to thirty thousand, and mm-hmm. if, if you know you're you're hoping to get eighteen thousand, uh, maybe twenty into the you know into a game where in basketball most of the arenas in Conference USA, for instance, or the Sun Belt, you know, we have one of the larger arenas, and our arena seats seventy eight hundred, so you're looking at trying to fill up a twenty to 25,000-seat stadium compared to a 7,800-seat stadium. There are less people going to basketball games than football. So I do think um, I, I do think it, you lose – and I, I don't think football people, they want to tailgate, uh, they want to hang out, and it, it's just a different deal for them to drive um, apparently for you know a long ways away because we're a regional university. They're just not used to this, so I think maybe over a course of time uh, they will be. But uh, you, in the history of our program, we've never played a Tuesday game in football. I don't think too many schools have, so I think it's going to take a while for fans to get used to going to a football game on a Tuesday uh, rather than maybe a basketball game on a Tuesday. Like well, and, this and, and the other the other aspect too, when you talk about the the, the crowd, the numbers. You know, uh, a Thursday or a Friday night game is gonna is gonna uh, run head on into high school football too. So mm-hmm. Maybe not so much Tuesdays. Now I remember when my kids were playing, they were my, or my grandson was playing uh, in middle school. We played on Tuesdays, but <laughs> but Thursdays and Fridays that's high school football. Oh yeah, Randy, I, I'm puzzled by the fan issue only because uh, this may be a poor comparison. <clears throat> the University of Missouri plays games on Thursdays which we, uh, you know, do uh, once every other year, uh, they always fill out the crowd, uh, the stadium, you know. Um, and so I'm curious to know what the difference is between the University of Missouri and Western Kentucky. I know Western Kentucky uh, is, is not a bigger program, but it's also a smaller stadium. It's the University of Missouri, last I checked, I think it's like 70,000 fits, fits into that, into that. And it always seems to be, Fairly well sold out, unless it's a lousy game, you know. But even then, it usually does pretty well uh, with with tenants. So I'm sort of curious about your thoughts as to why that might be the case. You know, uh, uh, University of Missouri, which is a sort of a mediocre SEC school, SEC school, and and Western Kentucky. Well, I think um, you know we certainly have played Thursday games in the past, and you know, 
some of those have done okay. Um, but Tuesday games, I think I'm more concerned with it than Thursday. But nonetheless, on a Thursday, um, you know, it's we're, we're talking apples and oranges here. We're talking a state university with an alumni base of whatever, uh, with a stadium that, you know, w- with a fan base that's incredibly larger than a WKU's or an MTSU or really anyone in the Sun uh, in Conference USA. So uh, I, I think uh, the comparison can be made but when you're comparing an SEC fan base to a Conference USA or Sunbelt fan base, and that it's not um, not similar at all. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I was thinking more like conference affiliation as well because I mean, when you look at it, most of the time an SEC an SEC school, unless the game is like against like a one double eight tuna can, you're going to at least get about fifty thousand. But also, like I was going to say, Middle Tennessee's got the short week this week because it just got off of playing a Wednesday game, and they're going to play tomorrow. So they basically lose a day of practice. So whatever they had in mind, I mean, they could probably get it in on you know Thursday, Friday, Saturday, when give them an off day on Sunday and a walkthrough on Monday because that's basically all you probably will be able to do with you know if you have a quick turnaround and you're playing from a Wednesday to a Tuesday. Why don't we see if we have any hands raised? We'll take one or two, and then I wanted to bring up something that Randy might be able to shed some light on. Uh, Lucy, do we have any hands raised right now? Um, not. Oh, oh Mitch, yes. All right, let's bring Mitch in. How are you? Yeah. Good. Uh, good afternoon, Randy, and and Hi, Mitch. I will. Um... <laughs> I will ask you, as as someone who is close to um, a a smaller university, and these folks have heard my rant before. I I don't like the direction college football is going. Um, I don't like name image likeness. I don't like the transfer portal. They just made some minor adjustments to it uh, today. I just heard, but I would think that particularly. NIL, but perhaps the transfer portal as well, will will not help a school like Western Kentucky. It won't help in bas- in college basketball, the mid majors, and and I'm really concerned. And and you talked about games on Tuesday nights and Thursday nights. Um, I think it's horrible. I think it's you know I'm a USC alum, and I'm I'm concerned next year. Uh, when we join the uh, the Pac-10, uh, not so much for Saturday games or even Friday games, but I'm one of the few people that follows USC basketball, and I can only imagine um, what those players are going to be dealing with when they have to fly 1,500 miles and play games uh, could you Tuesday explain, and Thursday. Mitch, could you so, tell us what the transfer portal is? I'm not sure that we all understand what that is. Maybe the some transfer portal. Yeah, the transfer portal allows a player. It used to be that if you transferred, you would lose a year of eligibility. I believe if you transferred within conference, you actually had to get written permission from your uh, from the AD or or from someone within the school. Well, What's happened in the last three or four years? is basically the transfer portal allows players to transfer 
Um, we've got there are guys uh, that have transferred three times in their in their five year college career. Um, Pete Arbogast, who uh, is a, a legend out here, has done USC games for thirty five or forty years. When he gives a starting lineup or when he announces uh, uh, another uh, a player from another school, uh, he, he never hesitates to, to mention that they this is their third school in, in four or five years. So the transfer basically was predicated on the notion that a coach, uh, there were no stipulations if a coach changed schools and in their in their notion of of fairness, decided that players should have the same option. So that's what the transfer portal is. They've just tightened it just a tad. I heard this morning where there's going to be I, a thirty day window. About, yeah, I saw something 30, about that on Friday, where it's like a short. They've basically shortened it, the window. They've shortened the window thirty days after the last playoff or the last uh, uh, post season game but also i think they're going to have a 15 day uh window in april yeah i, th- I think that's right so but, you know I, I feel bad usc will always be able to do nil for our athletes because our all the the rich alumni who are far richer than i'll ever be <laughs> but you know they'll always be a, a place to to take care of uh, the the guys that transfer in here but you know the the Western Kentuckys and even to some extent, Pete Peter, your school, University of Missouri, uh, or your former uh, allegiance well, yeah. there. I I think it's I think it's it's not the death knell for for smaller uh, schools and smaller conferences. It, it's at least uh, uh, making things look really really uh, difficult for those schools. And I'd like to hear Randy's take on on my rant. Well, he well he does have a bonus because Austin Reeves, the quarterback, transferred in from what was it, Houston Christian, to Western Kentucky. If I'm go, not- ahead. go ahead, Randy. Well, yeah, I would say uh, first of all, in the NIL, uh, I think it's twofold for schools of our size. I think the NIL is um, very difficult for us to overcome, and I'm just not saying WKU. I'm saying other schools, Conference USA, Sun Belt, maybe some schools in the AAC. Uh, that that is very difficult to overcome. Now the portal's a different story. With the with, with the NIL um, schools that we compete with in the conference don't have the money to be able to uh, keep our best players. Um, now that that's pure simple. The NIL we we can't compete in the NIL. Um, we're in a market that is smaller, and even some schools, you know, for Rice for instance, they're in a major market. But let's face it. I mean, um, you know, they got Houston, University of Houston there, plus they got all the, the pro teams. You know, how, how many big business people are going to year in and year out uh, spring for money to give to athletes to have them either be on a billboard or whatever, you know, they're going to do to earn that money. Now, the portal's a different story. Uh, you know, our coach, head coach Tyson Allen, loves the portal. We, mm-hmm. we have lost a lot of great players to the portal. We've also reaped the benefits of the portal. Uh, you mentioned our current quarterback, Austin Reed. He was a Division II quarterback at West Florida. Yep. And uh, we, we, we he, in the last minute, he decided he wanted to transfer to WKU. And we had a quarterback that had transferred here from West Virginia University. He was going to, was the starting quarterback. 
And that's why he came here. Uh, uh, Daggy was his name. Jared Daggy started three years at WVU off and on. Well, Austin came in and beat him out. So, uh, you know, that was good for Austin. And then the previous quarterback we had was Bailey Zappi. Zappi mm-hmm. played three years at Houston Baptist, now known as Houston Christian. And he came here with his offensive coordinator and his best wide receiver. And he was only here one year. But in the one year here, he broke all of the NCAA passing records for a single season in terms of touchdown passes and yards passing. And his receiver, Jarrah Stearns, had 151 receptions, which I believe is second or third all time. So, uh, you know, we certainly have reaped the benefits of it. We've lost probably a little bit more than we've gained. But you can at least see some give and take in the portal because you're getting players who may not be playing as much as they want to at bigger schools and who can come here and and be a big star. But with the NIL, uh, schools in these kind of conferences can't compete at all. And now Bailey Zappi is a Patriot. Yeah, he is. I'd only only respond regarding the transfer portal (laughs) – and USC has lost two or three quarterbacks over the last few years. Uh, I think what it does is, is it says to a player, if I don't get my way, if I don't get the opportunity uh, to be the number one quarterback, I'll take my marbles and go somewhere else. I don't think it's good for, for young, young people uh, to, to, I think it's too easy. I, I think what what the lesson they take away from that is, if I don't get what I want immediately, I can go somewhere else. And, and I just, you know, college football, college athletics, at least in the old days, used to used to teach some some ethics and some values, and and you know, used to leave college, leave athletics, even if you didn't make uh, make the pros. Uh, you'd learn some valuable lessons out of it. And I, and I think that's something that is really lacking today. And I, I don't think it's good for, for, uh, for the young, for the young men and maybe even the women, women in college basketball uh, can transfer too, but you know, I'm old school. I'm a dinosaur. I admit it. And I'm damn proud of it. (laughs) I I guess my only response to that, Mitch, and I'd be curious to know what Randy's response is, is that I think uh, this idea of being a transfer three times strikes me as a bit much, on the other hand, uh, you know, we the the you as you often say, we live in the in the United States of greed, and <laughs> yes, and for better or for worse, I think young folks, if they can, uh, think they have a chance to to get more money, it's like uh, when I was uh, in college, I was a musician. I made money uh, on weekend gigs and so on and so forth. And if I had found another school where I could make, I thought I could, I could make more money. I might have transferred, and I would have been perfectly legal for me to do that. Um, now, I I think sometimes some of those kids, if they see a class that they want to take, but that school doesn't have that, I think they will transfer because of that too. And I, go, I've never heard that happening, Luther. I, and or or if they have three years, or if they've done three years of eligibility and they have like a year or so left, they'll go elsewhere and finish that year out at another school. Because that that's happened more often than not. Brady, what are your thoughts about all of this? Well, I agree with the gentleman who's a USC uh, fan, and I, I apologize I didn't catch your name, but um, I, I think the the age of hanging in there and competition and, you know, I might have to wait a couple of years 
Um, that's all gone right now. Now, I do know that for, for my, <laughs> the, their position coaches and coordinators don't set a very good example. Uh, I don't think there's a – I don't – you know, football is, 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 is horrible in regards to having coaches stay in one place. I mean, exactly. you know, a school like us, when you're at Western Kentucky University or another so-called mid-major, when your program is successful, uh, your coordinators and your assistant coaches will be um, recruited – They'll be in demand, and they almost always leave. Uh, last year, we had a really good year. In fact, we're now on our third coordinator in three years. Two Sheesh. years ago, our coordinator came in from Houston Christian, and that was a Bailey Zappy year, and Bailey broke all the quarterback records for passing and touchdowns in a single season. Well, immediately, he wasn't even here probably nine months. Texas Tech lures him away. So he's replaced by the, the, the coach that worked under him at Houston Christian, he comes in here. He was here one year last year, Ben Arbuckle. We had another incredible year. Austin Reed last year for last season led all of college football in, in passing yards and touchdowns. And then all of a sudden he's gone in less than nine months. He's now the offensive coordinator at Washington State. We have two outside of our head coach of the 11 coaches. We have two that returned from last year. So when you're a, when you're an offensive tackle or a linebacker and you play for two or three different coaches, as soon as they get a better offer, they're leaving. That sets a bad example. So I don't think the coaches are any. Uh, you want to hear a coach crying about it? For the most part, I'd laugh because I, I know darn well if you're coaching here and and Auburn gives you an offer, you're leaving ASAP. So just like our players do, or any player from any other school, sort of at our level. So I think it's a. It's just not players. It's also coaches as well. Yeah, and, and the name is Mitch. And I, t I totally agree with you, but it's it's the Wild West out, out here, and, and uh, you would hope that there would be a little uh, – some some regulation, um, you know, coaches too. I mean, they sign a contract. Obviously, a contract isn't worth the paper they're written on. Exactly. So, so, so I, I agree on that score too, but it's, I, I, I don't think it's good – for for a fan base, and and it's certainly not good for for as you say the mid mid majors the Western Kentuckys, uh, you know uh, the Pac-12 is going away, and and the two schools that are left, uh, they're they're not <laughs> they're not very good. I mean they they're pretty decent this year. Stanford but, and who was it? No, it's you know, it's an Oregon no. State and Washington Ooh. State. Yeah, they, they, aren't they? Aren't they? In the uh, Pac-2, joining the uh, Mountain West, I don't think it's official yet. That's kind of what I expect to happen, but yeah, I'm not sure so it's uh, it's official. But yeah, I think they're going to go into the Mountain West. But you know, college college football, I think, is just heading in the wrong direction generally. So, so as as a fan, as a fan, and and you get really when you you know like like Mitch is a USC. Uh, alumni and fan. I'm a, I'm a University of Texas alumni and fan. Oh, boy. I, and we're close I, friends. Yes. <laughs> I, really, I, I really look at recruiting is, is just my, you know, my you know, football is a, is a year-round sport. For That's 24-7, 365, 366. Right. Recruiting, I, I, love, I love the recruiting and, and all that. And when you see a player, you want that player to, to develop. I want this player to develop in the program. Sure. And between the transfer portal and, and like you said, Randy, the, the coaching, because 
and the NIL. Don't forget at, that you're looking at relationships, and some of the some of the players come because of that particular position coach. I believe mm-hmm. this coach can develop me and get me ready for the next level. And you get there, and the coach is gone. What am I gonna do? Where's my allegiance? <laughs> you know. So so it it I think the cat is out of the bag, and it's gonna be very difficult to regulate it so that it there's there's some sense to be made out of it because as long as the coaches can leave and the and the kids can leave, you know, the, the programs are going to be up in the air and, you know, like a, 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 a like a pinball. Juggler. I mean, yeah, be let, juggling. Me, can I, let me, can I, I take this one step further? I, I do want to move on. Mitch, thank you very much for your comments. We appreciate them always. Hey, Bob, can I, I do want to move on. Are you about to mourn the, the Dodgers, Mitch? Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, okay. we'll get to that. I got another thing to get to, too. Lucy, do we have anybody at the moment? Hand. Yes, Diane. 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 Let's bring her in. Hi, Diane. Diane, saying, I think. Diane? Here we go. There we oh, are. Yeah. There you go. Well, I want to um, lay a little blame on Buffalo Bills management oh, boy. for not <laughs> allowing their team to go to London a little bit earlier than they did. You know, Diane, that whole thing was messed up. You send Jacksonville there two weeks in a row as an experiment to see if it's going to work in the long term. I knew Jacksonville was going to be Buffalo. Buffalo had to make a huge cultural adjustment in a little bit amount of time, no matter how good they are. Jacksonville's already been there. They're established there. I kind of predicted the result. from Bob, check this out. The Ravens are leaving out today to go to London. The Titans aren't leaving out till Thursday. And by the time they land on Friday and do whatever the walkthrough is on Saturday and play Sunday morning at 8.30, Tennessee's not going to be acclimated, and Baltimore could kick the crap out of them. Well, why are the Titans waiting? Don't ask me. Why did Buffalo wait? Well, I'll tell you what I think I heard, that they wanted to keep their team on on the same schedule as far as when they practice and when they – do things and you know so well, you're, I, you're I, still you're still you're still going to be five hours behind because you're kicking off there at 2 yeah. 30 in the afternoon london time that's 8 30 here central time back here in the states yeah they they left i think thursday night and that's and they what got there me. friday morning and they supposedly stayed up all day on friday so they could get a normal night's sleep on Friday and they did whatever on Saturday. But yeah, they weren't they weren't ready. It took them the whole game to get their act together enough to get some points on the And board. even then and even then they were the, the only thing because I was telling a friend of mine this the other day that it's not gonna be, you know, the Bills not won't have an, the the only thing with the Bills, they're not gonna have enough time. And plus they had a few guys that were hurt too. Yes, they did. And I'm really sad about Matt Milano. Oh my yeah. gosh! Uh, did, what, did they? Did they? Did they ever? Was it? Was it? Did they ever find out what it was? Because I, I, I know they said something about his foot or something. Knee on Sunday. It's a knee injury. The oh. knee in his leg. Is what I heard. So, yeah. uh, Randy, I want to get your thoughts in particular <laughs> about Bill Belichick. And here's what I'm going to say. I've said this to a few of my friends already today. Why are some announcers continually trying to tell us that he's the greatest coach of all time? He's 30 and 35 since Brady left. 
He's below 500 coaching teams without Brady. Why is he considered one of the greatest of all time? I'm not saying he's not good, because he is. But if you're below 500 without Tom Brady, are you the oh. greatest coach of all time? You know, I did not anticipate that the Patriots uh, for the first 65 games or the 65 games that Tom Brady's not played uh, to be five under 500. So it's sort of taken me by surprise. I guess I thought, you know, as someone who does not live in New England, I certainly follow the NFL very closely. I, I did put him up there with, you know, um, Chuck Knoll. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Chuck Knoll was, you know, highly underrated. The, the Chuck Knolls, you know, Tom Landry. Bill Walsh's, Vince Lombardi, yep. uh, Bill Belichick, Don Shula, you know, Paul Brown, you know, Paul Brown, it didn't end well for him in Cleveland. It didn't end well for Tom Landry. You know, Chuck Noll didn't finish that strongly. Bill Walsh sort of retired on top and then wanted to come back. You know, Bill Parcells, maybe a step below those. Uh, of course, Vince Lombardi was Vince Lombardi. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, just because you have the most wins in a particular sport doesn't make you the greatest coach. So I, I don't think I would have ever thought he was the greatest. I'm certainly among the best. But, you know, they do play more games now. So you're able to add to your win column a little bit easier than you did in the past. Especially, you know, longevity. Especially college longevity. basketball. Yeah. What was interesting is I heard Belichick uh, is on par for – uh, making the record of having the most losses in a career before well, he, he gets the most wins. He's at two. I think he's at two ninety nine, and he still needs one win to at least get to the three hundred win mark. Now the thing is, can they fit that? So I, I like I said this morning, they need to find they need to find a solid five that they can just go with the best five that can work, no matter who. And a general manager to tackle to guard. Get a receiver that can get into get behind in the secondary. I mean, they look, it's not the fact that they can't do it. It's right now the fact that they just can't stay healthy for about five for about five weeks straight. You keep bringing guys oh. in and all of a sudden you I mean I mean Randy, Randy knows this from pure experience. If you don't have at least five guys across the line that can give your quarterback time and you're for routes to develop, for a quarterback to at least see the field, you're not going to be able to move your offense the way you want it to move. It doesn't matter whatever you try to, whatever play you call, if you don't have a good solid five that's not hurt, it's not going to work. I don't care so, what so, team you are. So, Bob, when I analyze that period of time, for him getting those those victories, yeah, I think Brady had a whole lot to do with it because he Brady, did most of it. Brady's Brady's, I mean, Brady's a heck of a quarterback, but I always remind everybody it's a team sport. Exactly, uh, Belichick Belichick does have the knack for for choosing guys who who can fit a role. Uh, he's always had a knack for getting. Uh, Decent guys on defense. Defense. Their defense played just well enough to keep them always competitive and to be in the game. You watch a uh, a Patriots defense. Uh, you know, except you know the last few years, they have very few break. They have very few breakdowns. They're always they're still competitive. Uh, so all they all they need is another Brady, 
and I think they're they're almost as as competitive as they were du- during the Brady era. And Michael, thing- Michael, wouldn't you agree though that Scott Pioli, the general manager prior to Belichick, before he assumed the role, did a better job drafting than Belichick himself? I I don't know if I put Pioli up there as one of the best general managers because he's even missed. And I mean, they haven't had a good wide receiver in quite a while. And that's one of the biggest problems besides offensive line. They don't have a guy that puts the fear of God in somebody. So, I mean, how how are you going to? Well, who who was the general manager when when, uh, they got Randy Moss? I think that was, oh, who was it? I think. I'm not Pioli sure if Scott already, Pioli was there. I think then. Pioli was gone at that point. But maybe it was Bill. I think it was Bill because if I remember right, he I think he got let go by who was it up by Tennessee and we after week seven or eight because he really hadn't so, done anything. So, so when you think about it, you know the Patriots were before before Brady started playing. The Patriots were not very they were not a very good team. No, they weren't. And 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 think about this. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Randy. We kind of left you hung out to dry here. <laughs> you can chime but, in anytime you want, Randy. Yeah, please. Okay. But I mean, it's just one of those where it was like when you had Bledsoe. I mean, Bledsoe was okay, but what had they done? Because after Parcellus left them, then when they drafted Brady at pick one ninety nine, it was basically between Bledsoe and Brady. And then when Bledsoe got hurt. Brady came in. They didn't do crap the first week. But after that, they figured some stuff out. And I think that's what this team has to do. Figure some stuff out. And, I mean, we're we're about to be in week six. Yeah, I know. It's not been good. Yeah, I know. But I think usually when you get to here, you start figuring out what your team is. And I think the biggest issue that they have is they're not on the offensive side of the ball. They can't not, score touchdowns. They are not sustaining drives. And for me, that's the that's the biggest problem I see. What do you think, Randy? Well, I think, to me, Bill Belichick was called the greatest coach of all time. And I, like I said, I think he's right up there with, with anyone. But I, I do feel like – I just wonder if he – you know, he was always known. Everyone always felt like he can do more with less sure. because of the system. So yep. I, I just wonder what someone like that who who maybe I'm sure he believes that I'm sure he's heard that for so many years. I just wonder if um, you become sort of so confident in your ability to do more with less that that you actually, uh, you know, when you have less, you're not too worried about it because, you know, you're smarter than everyone else and your systems. Our way is going to, you know, win over everyone else's way. I just I wonder when you've been so successful for so long, supposedly outside of the quarterback, okay, outside of the quarterback <laughs> where you do more with less if you just feel like, yeah, you know, okay, whatever. We'll figure out a way to win because we always do because our system works. I just don't know if he's fallen prey to that or not at this point in time in his career. That that would probably be my guess. Now, if you, if you look at the 49ers and the belly whop that they beat the snot out of the Cowboys last night. Yeah, sorry, I mean, Michael. It, it's 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 a it's a night it was a night and day difference last night. I mean, guys, think about this. Since Dak Prescott's been the quarterback, I don't think he's ever had a game that bad. Except when he plays the 49ers. And I was telling my mom last night, I don't think the Niners, I don't think the Cowboys have the horses 
that the 49ers do? Doing surgery yesterday. You know, I, I read, I did some research after. I'm a running game fan. I mean, <laughs> I miss the days where teams ran, the, it would run the football more. But that being said, uh, I, I know the game has changed and the rules have changed. However, and I haven't done this with every week, but I just was interested because I kept seeing teams losing and all they were doing, they were passing. Now, some of them were behind. I understand that. Yep. But many teams are, are throwing the ball 44 times and running 15. So Jeez. I just wanted to do a one-week research on on that. So yesterday, of the 13 games that play that were played, the team that had the best run-to-pass ratio won the game 10 out of 13 times. Now, I'm going to follow that pretty closely the rest of the season just to see if that trend holds up. It might mm-hmm. be a one-week aberration, but I don't think so. I, I do still believe that you have to run the football, um, you know, and to, to be balanced and 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 get the job done that way too. And some of our best teams, like or playing like well, you San Francisco, Philadelphia, those two teams still run the football. They have physicality. They beat you up, and that's still a part of their um, playbook. And they make you like. It. I mean, it's like. By the time you get to the second half, fourth quarter, it's like, I don't want no more of this. It's like, you're done because they are just basically running it down your throat. Their offensive line is just in lockstep. And whatever they want to do, they're going to do it. Even the Chiefs are starting to figure that out after week one. They've started to run the ball a little bit with a little bit more physicality and nastiness with uh, Pacheco against Minnesota. They had to hold on, but they still were able to stay balanced yesterday. I've I've heard coaches say that that's what they want to do. They want to run, they want to run the ball, and and that's still a main. It's 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 interesting in the pros, uh, because because the the, the running backs are devalued now. Yep. But but even the college teams, the the superior college teams have a a great running. Uh, 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 they they have a, a stable of backs. Game. And they have, and, and you have multiple backs. Yes. Sure. So I mean, some some use two three and four. Some use two three and four. Highly valued in the college, but not so much in in the pros. At least they're not getting paid for it. Here, I mean, here, here's what I kind of want to, you know, piggyback off of, Randy and Randy. I I don't know if you got a chance to see this at the college level as well. In your when you look at the research of things like that with you, what you were talking about a few seconds ago. Take the example of the Miami-Georgia Tech game where they tried to hand it off and into the game when they should have just taken a knee, and then Georgia Tech gets another shot at it and hits a 90-yard Hail Mary bomb in the end zone to win the game. You know, I heard about that before seeing the highlights. I was actually listening to part of that game. I, one of my uh, hobbies is listening to games from all over. I had XM Radio, and I was mm-hmm. listening to Miami. I like Joe Zagak. He's a buddy of mine from years gone by and I didn't catch the end of it when I heard the, how that game ended and then I saw the replays of how it ended <laughs> it, it's really incomprehensible um you know coach Cristobal did a very good job at FIU when we were in the Sun Belt we played FIU he did a great job there he turned down the pit job to stay there and then they unexpectedly fired him after a bad year he goes to Alabama you coaches under Saban for a while went to Oregon did a good job there went back to Zama Mater I never never in a million years would have anticipated that something like that would have happened while he was the head coach. Now, did he call the play? Sometimes the head coaches give the coordinators all the liberty in the world to make the play call. But I just can't imagine 
anyone who's been in coaching that long not realizing it's much safer to take a knee than it is to hand off, taking exactly. the game over. How can that happen? I, That's I, what I, I was thinking to myself. I was listening to the I was listening to Wes Durham on ACC TV, who I really wish was still doing Georgia Tech football on radio. But that's be, that's beside the point. But he he called the game, I think, on ACC Network. And I'm thinking, like, and who I, I I forgot who the color guy was, but he's like, why is he's like, why is he handing the ball off? And he's like, handoff balls out. And I'm thinking, like, why? Well, miracle that's to coaching Meadowlands. The miracle to Meadowlands. You had Joe Pasolic yes. and Larry Zonka bump, bump into one another, and Herm <laughs> Edwards scoops it up and scores on a all he had to do was kneel down and win the game. And Merrill Reese's and Merrill Reese's classic call. Just, no, I want to go. I want to go back to the Belichick thing just for a second because I think the comparison that comes to mind with Belichick is Phil Jackson. Oh, definitely. That's exactly Phil, what I was thinking. Phil, Phil Jackson had Michael Jordan, and while he had Michael Jordan, they were fabulous. And it takes a special coach to be able to sort of deal with a situation like that. You know, to be able to meld a star into a team like uh, Phil Jackson did and like uh, Belichick did the problem. And most coaches can't do everything. There are coaches who can build to a certain point and they can't go any further. There are coaches who can, you know, take on the built team and, and push them to the next level and win a championship. And then there are the, the, the coaches like Belichick and, and Phil Jackson who can sort of, they have a star can figure out a way to build around that star and win lots and lots of championships Look at look at what he did after after he left the Bulls. Look at what he did there with the Lakers. When he had Kobe, and then he had Powell, and then they had right. all those guys. Yeah, Shaq so he, also. Yeah, yeah. Too. He, he basically he had a whole triumvirate of just guys that fit what he wanted to run. But but he was also able to keep these egos together. You know the, exactly. The, and that's that's a real gift to be able to do that. That but that's the, in, in this day and age, it's hard to do. You know, Phil Jackson goes to the Knicks in a disaster. It's a disaster. Um, and now that but the Knicks were a terrible, you know, terrible franchise. And they're a little better now. But I'm waiting to see them collapse this year. But that's another conversation. Well, well guess who's their head coach is? Tom Thibodeau. And guess who's still the owner of the Knicks? God-awful James Dolan. Yeah, I know. Get, no, I, uh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to go down there. Randy, I wanted to make a couple of comments about <laughs> baseball. I'm sure you follow the playoffs as we do. And what amazes me about the playoffs so far, okay, you've got Atlanta, Philly, you've got LA, Arizona. You've got Rematches of basically a regular yeah. season matchups. You've got, you've got Houston, Minnesota, you've got Baltimore, Texas. Yep. Most of the favorites are losing. Yep. Does, can you say parody? I mean, what's going on here? This is, I think this is good for baseball in a way, but nonetheless, you always like your favorites to win. You know, I, I do think there's going to be a rule change after this year. I, I I think that, or when they're allowed to make a rule change, I think they're going to go back to the one game format, where for the wild card game, play in game. Yeah. So I think they feel like now that um, it, it's so weighed in favor of the wild card winner in terms of the first couple games in the series, where the team with the bias to wait five days, they've had to wait five days now. If, if the series goes, uh, you know, three games, that's a different story. But when it's a sweep, they're having to wait five games to play that next day. And um, uh, I just feel like they're going to try to eliminate that and and go back to where the, the, the team that has won the division 
who has the bye does not have to wait five days to play a game. I, I do think that'll be changed somewhat. Here's I would what I think here. waiting the five days would make sense because these guys are dinged up. It's been a six month season. You know, you're having to put guys on the IL for you know finger injuries, which really you know. That's... And then and then you have to figure out like which guys are going to be on the roster, who who's on the roster, and you know how many games can they play till they qualify to make roster, or if they have to make a roster move, they have to do it within like you know a few days before first pitch. So it's we it all kinda... know everyone wants to buy. I mean, everyone of course. wants to buy. So that's what you play 162 games for is the buy. Yep. Uh, you know, I'm an Oriole junkie. Uh, they were my team when I was eight. They'll be my team until I'm 88. Um, and they were playing to win the title and get a buy. So that's Which what they you got. Do. And, uh, you know, it has not worked out, at least for them. And maybe the other teams who uh, lost their first game and win their second won't be that big of a deal. Atlanta. And- yeah, and Atlanta, big, big game one that they I, – I I was talking to a friend of mine, and I'm like, if Atlanta's going to win this series, they've got to get game one. Because if they don't get game one, I don't know if they can win this series. And the Dodgers – the Dodgers will probably figure it out. I, I think it, the Dodgers might be able to figure it out with their hitting, but I just don't know how far their pitching can take them. Because if Kershaw's getting shelled in game one – and look at Arizona. They basically went to Milwaukee, swept the Brewers, took them out, and now they're they've won the first three games of their postseason run. And Craig Council is probably in is rumored to be a candidate for the Mets. And now they have to go find a new general manager as their as their GM to resign. So the Mets are in total. They're in a mess. It's a New York team. What do you expect? Yes, true. Um. Um. You know, as far as Baltimore is concerned, I'm not totally shocked that they're down 2-0. I'm not either. I've been saying on the show forever that, you know, experience counts. Yes, it does. Baltimore is, is, as I understand it, is a young team. Maybe I'm wrong, Randy. You can correct me if if my facts are wrong. They're a younger team, and it usually takes the younger team a couple years to, you know, to, to to figure out how to play these big games. They haven't yeah. been back in the playoffs at least since 2015. So, the Peter is they stretch. won 101 games in the regular season with this young team. So, why can't they sustain because it? Because the playoffs is it because the playoffs it's a different animal. It's, it's a different animal, and they get better pitching, and the whole the, the the tension goes up. So, it's like every other, you know, the how many teams do really well in the regular season in basketball and hockey. And you know, uh, well, the Bruins, right? You know, well, classic yeah. case. Bruins classic, yeah. set the record for the most yeah. wins last year, and they yeah. and they got knocked out first round. So, really, the Florida it's, it's it's like I told you guys. You know, you run into who's hot, and and Texas yeah, Texas kind of cooled off at the, <clears> at the end of, end of the season. Thank you for uh, letting the Astros slide <laughs> into, <laughs> but, and get the two seed but, and get a bye. But now you're tied with the yeah, Twins. Yeah, they. Because the Astros needed needed the time off, but I'm not I'm not sure it's going to help them. But but the, but Texas is a hot, hard hitting team, and so uh, you know that, and they they're hungry. That, of course they are. Hungry. And and look they and look at who's managing them. Yeah, they they look are. Look at who's managing so, them. How many times? How many times? How many times in sports do you see a coach or a manager? go from one successful franchise and then they get hired to go to another franchise and everything they've learned and everything they taught 
they bring there, and that team starts to succeed. Randy, yep. you were going to say something. I know, Peter, you were going to ask Randy something. Go ahead. I was just asking Randy what is, if he if he, if he thought if you thought my analysis of the Earls was fair. You know, being well, I agree with everything you said about them. Uh, I think their strength this year was avoiding long losing streaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are about ready to set the ma- well during regular season. They're about ready to set the major league regu- regular season record for not being swept in a series. I, I think their strength is depth. They they have a lot of depth, and sometimes in a short playoff series, depth is not a factor whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, being a, a lifetime you know, Oriole junkie, Earl Weaver was known. I felt like. Through 162 games of a regular season, if he had, he did more with his talent over 162 games, I would argue, than any manager. However, when it came to postseason play, some of those, you know, some of those platoon systems and and that 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 five months worth of depth and role players, sometimes it's your you know your bench is shortened. Um, the strength of depth is not as important in a short series, and this team is loaded with depth. But Texas has a better offensive team. There's no doubt about that. At one point in time this year, I believe I read where they were ahead of the 1927 Murderers Row Yankees, statistically speaking, for being the best offense in the history of baseball. So they they are very good at the plate. Their pitching has been up and down. Um, but I'm not surprised that, that they have not totally surprised they have won the first two games of Baltimore. I certainly thought that was quite possible. Uh, but but I, I feel like uh, – Whatever you said about the Orioles, all you said, I totally agree with everything. They're young, and my, I just strongly feel like a team that that much depth depends upon so many different role players. Um, you can lose that sometimes in a short series. Doesn't matter. You got to give them and, a fair shot in Game Three. If yeah, they well, yeah, but that win Game Three, Texas pitching is going to be in disarray because they don't have either. Uh, Max Scherzer or John Gray. Well, yeah, if Max Scherzer was definitely two. not supposed to be pitching, from what so, I heard. God no, only he's knows out for the series. Be. Yeah, that now that that could be a problem if they if it has to go the distance. They had to probably go back to Montgomery and then had to go to another rookie that they were talking about today on 105.3 The Fan. I do feel that Baltimore wins Game Three. That every single player in that clubhouse feels like they can win the series because they have not been on a long losing streak the entire season. They're a very confident young team. And I do feel like if they win Game Three, they could they could win, um, they could win three in a row, no doubt in my mind. They could do what the Mariners did to my Yankees in nineteen ninety five. Yeah, nineteen ninety five. You yeah. never know. You just don't know. I mean, true. Same thing with the, same thing with Atlanta. But they but they they got to win Game Two tonight. Same thing with the Dodgers. Oh yeah, the teams that are down one zero, Game Two is a have to have if you have any chance. I mean, you can go down 0-2 if you've got enough, you know, depth and hitting, but I just don't know. The Braves, maybe. Dodgers, not sure. Well, we'll see what happens because, you know. Well, well, it's all National League tonight, so. Lucy, do we have any hands raised? We have time for one more before we wrap it up. To go out of here. All right, let's give them a second to get their hands up if they want to. Randy, before you go, if they don't, I don't see anybody. <laughs> uh, talk about how Western Kentucky is doing. I mean, I, I have no idea. I haven't followed them at all. How, how is how is this year going, and what do you anticipate happening? Yeah, it was a program that was picked to win the conference this year. They've been knocking on the door virtually every year. Jeff Brom was here in 2014 through 2016, and they won back-to-back conference titles in 15 and 16. And since then, with the exception of uh, 
two years, certainly been right there at, at the door to, to win a conference title. This year they're picked to win it. Um, they lost, of course, Ohio State, being a surprise there. And I was hoping they could beat Troy. That was the one game to me that would uh, maybe be the uh, deciding point as to where you're going to have a terrific season or a good season. They went to Troy and lost by a field goal on the road. A tough a place is very difficult to to uh, to win. So they were two and two in the non-conference rather than three and one. So really to have what you I would call a terrific season, they're going to have to uh, probably win every game in conference. You go eight and zero to have a good season. That'd be like six and two. Can they win every game? I don't know. We're just so crippled right now with injuries on defense. But that being said. Uh, you know, other teams probably have injuries as well. The next two weeks are very important for them. They won their first two conference games. Uh, they won at Louisiana Tech last week. They played Jacksonville State and Liberty back-to-back. Liberty's not lost a game this year. Their schedule's been fairly weak, so we'll see what that's all about. We could be playing here in two weeks with both teams undefeated in conference. And, um, you know, on paper, um, I, w- I would think after the – after the Liberty game, they would be picked to be a favorite in every game from here on out. But, to, you know, in the history of the school, uh, they've only won, won through a conference season undefeated or untied uh, twice before. So, and you know, not many teams have done it a lot either. So uh, that's a tall task to ask. But if they could go seven and one in conference, that would give them a, uh, a nine and three season. And then you uh, you play in the conference championship game, win that when you go to 10 and three. And that's pretty good. And probably a date with what the New Orleans Bowl, I'm guessing. Maybe we went to the New Orleans Bowl for the first time last year. It had a great win over South Alabama. Sometimes uh, when you put on a show like that, they want you back. Other times they saw you last year. They want another fan base to come in the the, fall, the next year to, to change it up a little bit. So I don't know how that would affect them. But if they go ten and three, if uh, they'll have a lot, you know, they'll have their choice of a few bowls that Conference USA has tie-ins. And I know we've always wanted to go to the New Orleans Bowl, and it was a great bowl for us, and we played great. And we'd love to go back. There's no doubt about that. And, and uh, we'll Liberty, Liberty always right. seems to be – I don't – you know, I, I, I uh, Liberty always seems to be a, a, a decent team. Well, they, they survived seeing Houston State, who's making their inaugural soldier in CUSA. They seemed Houston, the Bearcats, gave Liberty every coach chat ball in the flames, exactly. everything they wanted. Gen- right? Gentlemen, we are out of time, unfortunately, but Randy, once again, thank, thank you, you for taking the time. I know you're a busy young man, but we always appreciate you coming on Sports Roundtable to share your thoughts with us about college football and all other aspects of sports. We hope you come back again in the near future. Yeah. We, we appreciate you. it. A young man? Young man, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll take it as a compliment. I take it as a compliment, yeah. Of, of course. Thank you again. <laughs> Grow up to be cowboy. All right, we're out. All right, thanks, everybody. Don, Peter, Michael, Luther. And thank you, Lucy and Brad, for helping out with us today. Thanks to our listeners. Go safe with God's abundant blessings. Have a great week, everybody.